we talked about being worthy and our focus was on the passage where of the Roman, uh, the centurion soldier, where he came to Jesus and said, I have a servant that is basically on his deathbed and I need you to, to heal him. I need you to help him. And Jesus says, well, do you want me to come to your house? And he said, you don't need to do that. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. And the reminder that we got through that was that not only did God see us as worthy, if he hadn't seen us as worthy, he would not have sent his son to die for us. How many of us would be willing to sacrifice ourselves for somebody, for a stranger, and put our lives on the line for them? But when it comes to your children, you know, without hesitation, you know you will put your life on the line for them. So that reminds us that God saw not just us here, but humanity as a whole as worthy to die for. Even though they might deny him, even though they might reject him, he said, I'm still going to deny, I'm still going to die for you because the point of Jesus dying for us was that so he could be the bridge that reconnects us or reconciles us with, with God. And so when people choose not to walk that bridge, not to go across that bridge, they stay on the other side. Well, as we, when we accept him, we get to not only know God, but we get to draw closer to Him. So today we're going to be uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter three, uh, verse starting at verse twenty-two to twenty-six. So I'm going to give you give you a little bit of time to to find that. Romans 3, 22 to 26. All right. Actually, I think I'll start, I'll start at verse uh, 21 and read to 26, because it all connects. All right. It says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So today we're going to talk about this word freedom or being free in Jesus. You know, going back to just Romans 3.23 where it reminds us, essentially, basically it says, every single one of us falls short of the glory of God. None of us really were in a place where we can say that we've never sinned, that we've never made a mistake because we all have sinned and we've all fallen short. 
That's why he had to send Jesus. It originally started with Adam and Eve, and it just kind of kept going to the point that he let us live in our sins, and finally he decided to send Jesus to be the one that would be the one that bridges that gap and connects us back to him. So my first point for you this morning is that there's freedom in forgiveness. A lot of times when you talk about being free or when you talk about forgiveness, you know, there's two ways to talk that you can think about forgiveness. There's the forgiveness that we receive from Christ, and then there's being able to forgive others. The problem is we struggle sometimes to, we say we accept that forgiveness, but we don't really live like we accepted his forgiveness because the devil has a way of reminding us of our mistakes, and so when he reminds us of our mistake, then we start to question, you know, we start to question whether we're worthy of that forgiveness. See, accepting forgiveness and then living as though you are forgiven are two different things. Because when you start living as forgiven and free, then your life starts to look different. You don't worry about the mistakes. You look for ways to avoid making the same mistakes, but you don't live as if that's a, you don't hold on to that weight, that, that shame or that sin that says, man, I don't know if I'm worthy. I don't know if I'm good enough. All these different things that weigh us down when it comes to our walk with Jesus. But there's also another aspect of forgiveness that we sometimes don't think about. It's the fact that Jesus tells us, the same level of forgiveness that you extend to people, think about it, that's the same level of forgiveness that the Father extends to you. So if you're not willing to forgive people that have wronged you and hurt you, how can you expect the Father to forgive you? And it goes further than that because a lot of times when we hold on to hurt and hold on and when we are unable to forgive people, what happens is we think we don't even realize that what we're really doing is hurting ourselves more than we're actually hurting the other person. Because the majority of the time, if we're being honest with ourselves, the person that we are having a hard time forgiving probably has no idea that we're holding unforgiveness against them. And when you finally say, I forgive you, they, go, for, they might respond with the, for what? Because we think we're doing something that would hurt them, maybe not intentionally thinking of it that way, but that's what we think is happening. But what really happens is it weighs us down, and we have a hard time moving away from whatever the problem is that we can't seem to forgive somebody else for. And so there's freedom in the forgiveness of, that comes when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and, and he forgives you of your sin, and he washes you clean, and you're renewed. He said, the Bible says that not only does he forgive you, but you get a fresh start. He forgets all the sins, all the mistakes that you made in the past. You get a blank slate to start over. And so, how can we expect the Father to forgive us without holding on to our mistakes, but then we turn and we hold, our mis we hold other people's mistakes against them? 
See, to say that you are free in Christ means that you have to live in that freedom, which means that you have to live in a way that shows people what it means to live according to Christ. Live like you are worthy of being a follower, of being a disciple of Jesus. Now, that's, we know that all the disciples, none of them were perfect. In fact, they all made mistakes. You know, we can look at the disciples and, and say, man, we can pinpoint where they made mistakes from, from Judas to Peter. But what we also forget, too, is how devoted they were to Jesus. Well, majority of them, you know. But we see that play out when the Spirit descends upon them. The same group that was just following, that was just doing what, you know, going along with Jesus. They still had questions. They still wanted answers to certain things, but they were obedient and they did what God asked them to do. And they waited for the Spirit. They wait. When it was time to preach the gospel, they preached the gospel. When it was time to stand on their faith, they stand on their, stood on their faith. When it was time to go before those that would persecute them and basically tell them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, they stood on the word of God. They went from just following to actually putting into practice what they had learned from Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You can't stay as just a follower forever. At some point, you have to go from following to living like a disciple. When we, one of the things that we talked about earlier in the year is about our, our missions as a church is that we want to make, one of those things is making disciples because that's what Scripture tells us in Matthew 8, uh, the last chapter. It tells us to go into all the world and to make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was a command to all the church, not just the leaders, not just those the uh, parishioners, not just the elders, but to every single person that professes the name of Jesus. Well, you might say, well, how am I supposed to be making disciples? Well, you're around other people. You might not always be in charge, but there are some times when you are ahead of other people. They may not be followers of Jesus, but that doesn't mean they're not watching you and seeing how you react to situations, how you handle yourself in situations. And so you get to be an example. Or another way to look at it, we, when you have a family, you have children, it is your job to disciple your children, not the schools, not the world, but the parents' job. The problem is we expect the world to do all these things when God clearly gave you the child. And he tells us to train your child in the way that they should go. Not let the world train them in the way that they should go. Not let the world tell them who they are supposed to be. Not let the world direct or dictate who they're supposed to be. But to show them what it means to live according to God's word. To show them that their identity is not found in the world, but in the word of God. And so we have to remember these things. And, you know, I've subbed, I, I do some substitute teaching. And I can think back to last year where we're in a, our culture has just 
seems to be going downhill. There's just a lot of wrongs. I'm not saying that there's not good things as well, but you see more of the bad than you see, unfortunately, of the good. And when you hear those things, it can't help but break your heart to hear just how far away from God we are going. And I can remember uh, subbing one, one time where I was, I don't even remember what, how the conversation came about, where one of the students, elementary age, was trying to basically get me to say something or to call out an identity that I was like, I don't really feel like to do that. They literally kept pressing me to keep saying, and I'm like, I'm not going to do that. Well, like, well, if you don't say it, then you, I'm like, no. First of all, you're trying to get me to say something that I don't agree with. And second of all, you're not going to get me to say something that I don't want to say. And they eventually let it go. But think about it for a second, that we, our, our world is telling our children who they should be rather than their parents telling them and raising them in the way that they should go. And the examples they see are all over social media. Not good ones. They see it in the movies. And I love a good movie, but I'm also very careful about the things that I watch. In fact, one of the, we've had to really poli police some of the shows that our kids watch because they're starting to put it in kids' shows that are about Karis's age. And we had to, and can you imagine, how do you explain that to a four-year-old? I'm sorry, sweetheart, you can't watch that show anymore because some of the things in it just don't align with what we believe as Christians. But a lot of it comes with being consistent to where you don't say, well, maybe just this once. Because the more they see these things, the more they begin to think, oh, it's okay. This is the normal thing. This is what we do. This is how things are supposed to be. But rather, what it is, it's just pulling us away and away and further away from God. So as Christians, we need to make sure that we know who we are in Christ. So that we don't let people tell us who we're supposed to be as believers. In Ephesians 4.32, it says, it says, be kind to each other. I'm reading from the New Living Translations. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgive one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And then in Matthew 4, 6, uh, Matthew 6, 14, 15, it says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sin. I believe it was Peter that looked at Jesus and said, Lord, how many times am I supposed to forgive my brothers? Now, anybody here have siblings? Yes. Now, can we can those of us that have siblings, you can say without a doubt, your siblings sometimes get on your nerves. My brother might not watch this, but maybe I'll send it to him later so he can watch it. <laughs> but the the truth is, you know, your siblings, your brothers and sisters, they're the close they're family, right? So if you're not willing to forgive your own blood of wrongdoing how can you forgive strangers or people outside your family when they wrong you? 
Man, I can think of times where me and my brothers, we, we argued, we thought. But at the end of the day, we still remembered that we're family and we're brothers. Now look at it in the context of Scripture. The Bible tells us that we are, those that are believers are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So why is there so much hurt between believers in the church? Why is there so much unwillingness to forgive in the church? Where Jesus literally says, the world will know you by your love for one another. But that's not what the world sees when we can't even show love to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But then we expect those that are non-believers to exercise those same behaviors that God tells us to, to exercise. To be loving, kind-hearted, to be all these different things. But yet we can't even do it for one another. See, we have to stop and be, really re- look at what the church is not only is viewed as, but also what the church is supposed to be. Who the church is supposed to emulate. When people talk about the church, are they just talking about a group of people that gathers together on Sundays? Or are they talking about the body of Christ getting together where just there's a move of the Spirit, where there's a move of God that happens? That's what people should be t- saying when they talk about the church. We shouldn't hear people talking about the things that the church is involved in that really has nothing to do with God. We shouldn't hear about churches breaking apart or separating, again, which is the complete opposite of the unity that is found in Jesus. A unity of the body, doesn't. when you talk about unity of believers, it doesn't show unity when you hear that, oh, the church, churches are splitting apart. How does that show the love and unity of God when we can't even stay together? The second thing that we are freed from, not just from our freedom found in forgiveness, but there is freedom for our sins. We know that in John 3.16 it says, "For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Again, how many of us would be willing to send our children to as a sacrifice for somebody else? To put their lives on the line for somebody that's going to disrespect you in return. That's going to really dishonor that sacrifice. That's what people do when they reject Jesus. They look at the sacrifice on the cross and they deny it or they, they talk against it. And what we see is it really looking down on what Jesus had done. That's why we started this by reminding ourselves of the glory of God and reminding ourselves of his divine nature, that Jesus was not just man, but he was also God. 
That's why we talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the three in one. Each aspect of the Trinity has a level of authority. And we saw Jesus use the authority given to him by the Father on this earth to do miracles, to bring dead back to life, to really change lives and transform people. See, that's what happens when we accept Jesus. He begins to transform our lives. And we become who he wanted, who he desired for us to be, and not who we think we should be. See, sin is the thing that separated us from the Father. I had this image of a, of a bridge that I was looking for that I was going to utilize, where you have two corners, and there's, in the middle you could say that's where our sin is. That's the separation. In order to get over that, to get over the gap that connects these two, gap, these two areas, which you need, well, you need a way to get across. And that's why we have bridges, because you need to be able to get from point A to point B without going through the mess that's down underneath that bridge. Jesus became the, the one that says, all right, you can get from point A to point B, but you got to accept me. You got to acknowledge me. You got to acknowledge who I am as the Son of God. You got to acknowledge that I came and I died and I rose from the dead for your sin. And so now the separation, that's not to say sin does not still exist, but rather over that is his sacrifice on the cross. He stands tall. He's the one that says, You don't have to worry about all that. I've forgiven you of all that. Just let me lead you to the Father and into a deeper relationship with Him. See, it's amazing when you stop and think about all that God has done for you in your life. The way that He's walked with you has led you. You know, we, we can say that the Christian life is not simple. You still experience problems. You still experience hurt. We still experience sorrows. We experience all these things in this life. But we still have Jesus every step of the way. His sacrifice is a reason why we are here right now. He is the reason why we can get together here and be able to worship and be able to uh, sing his praise, sing his name, and just be able to lift our hands in prayer. Believing that when God says it, it is done. We have to learn how to walk in the freedom found in him. So that the world will see us walking with Christ. In Psalm 51, it's a Psalm of David, verse 1 through 5, it says, Oh, I pulled that in. Sorry. 
before I read it. This, this whole psalm, basically, we, when we read psalms, there's a lot of it that's written by David at different accounts and different times in his life. And some of those were in his highs and some of those were in his lows. And some of those were when, he was, were when he was really on the run for his life and different things like that, where as he's experiencing things, he was going to God with his, and writing down ways to express himself, ways to, some of it was him asking God, hey, Lord, I need you to intervene and fight my battle. I need you to basically, to show these people that are ridiculing me, that are talking against me, all these different things, I need you to step in and do something. And then there are some where it was just simply him crying out to God, just pouring his heart. In this particular psalm, we, we see David calling out to God, saying that he is, that he, David, is a sinner. He's asking God to purify him, to wash him clean. See, sin is ingrained within us from the moment we are born. Unfortunately, we, we are born into this, in the world of sin, and it's in us. We are not, some ways to think about it, no, you don't have to teach a kid to lie. If they took something and they don't, and they don't want to admit it, they're going to lie to you and say that I didn't do it. Or the favorite phrase, not me. Those things were not taught. But rather, somewhere inside of us, there's this desire to go against the nature of God. See, the nature of God says you admit that wrong and you live in a way that's righteous. Well, sin nature says I don't have to admit anything. I'm just going to keep doing whatever I want to do and people can deal with it. See, that's the difference. Because he's calling us to, to say, okay... Yeah, I'm a sinner. But then when you talk to people that don't want to live that, the life of following Jesus, they don't want to say that they're a sinner because then it sounds like you're saying, well, that they did wrong. Well, God says we've all done wrong. So admitting that you've done wrong does not make you any more special than the next person because we're all on the same level that we have all done wrong in God's eyes. The difference is whether you're willing to accept the forgiveness that he offers and then live in a way that is transforming. The final point that I want to make this morning is that we are free. It's really that simple. What are you holding on to that you think God can't forgive you for? See, when you come before him with an open heart and an open mind and you really pursue him with your everything, I think you'll be amazed at how he can change your lives. So whatever it is that you've held on to for however many long it might be this I, that you think he can't forgive you for, I want to tell you today that He's willing to forgive you. He's willing to give you a chance to start anew. Maybe not necessarily that you can't accept his forgiveness. Maybe you struggle with forgiving others. God can show you and teach you how to, how to be forgiving toward others. But you have to accept that you can't hold on to whatever it is that's keeping you from being able to forgive others.
See, he wants to break these things in us, these barriers, these things that's, uh, is, that shows more of the world and less of him so that people will see more of him in you than they see of the world. And that's what the, churl, the church is called to be, to represent Christ in such a way that people see less of the world and more of Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and pray with me? Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that there is freedom that can be found in your sacrifice for us, in your death on the cross, and in your resurrection. Lord, there is freedom in your forgiveness. Sometimes the unwillingness to forgive weighs us down so much that we have a hard time moving past it. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that if we have anything in us that keeps us from receiving your forgiveness or extending that same forgiveness to others, would you just break those barriers in us this morning? That you would remove those things, that you would begin to work in us and as you lead us and guide us to what it looks like when we, when we forgive others in the same way that you forgive us. And God, I pray for anyone that does not know you, that has not surrendered their lives to you this morning. Would you, we pray, Lord, that just as Paul said in Romans, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe with all your heart that he was raised from the dead, then you will be saved. So, God, we call on your name and on behalf of those that need to know Jesus. We are standing in the gap for them and asking, God, that you would just reveal yourself to them in such a mighty and powerful way that there would be no denying what you've done and who you are. Lord, help us to be living examples of your goodness to this world, to our friends, to our families, to our children. Lord, wherever we may be, may, we, may people see you through us.